also an owner trainer, but she cross-trained her dog. And cross-training is when you have your dog do other tasks aside from the task that they primarily do. So this is our fourth guest that we will be having on in just a bit. Okay, everyone. This is Kimberly again, and I just wanted us to go through the guidelines of having a guide dog. First of all, we went through how you have to make sure the dog is a fit for you. But also other things are there. They should be on a strict schedule where you get up at a certain time every day. And you let them all at the same time every day. You feed them at the same time every day. It's it's important for you to keep up their grooming, have them groomed properly. You know their their nails clipped, and also one really big one that most people don't know is that it's really important to work the dog on a regular basis and what I mean by that is to take them out have them guide you places go outside and actually take a walk with them because they need that stimulation if you don't keep up with the training the dog will lose it and if you don't work your dog enough it's basically just going to be a glorified pet dog and you don't want that So whether you get your dog from a program, whether you have your dog privately trained, what have you, just know that once you have the dog, the training never stops. You're still bonding as a team. I I have heard things that like it takes six months to a year for a guide dog and its handler to become a team. Please reach out to us if we didn't explain something thoroughly because we really tried our best. I'm not a dog user yet, but I hope to be eventually. I have several friends who are dog users and I've learned a lot from them and I've also talked to a lot of guide dog handlers and I've learned a lot from them as well. Some vocabulary that the handler uses, such as tie-down, harness, and playtime. And playtime is when you take the harness off after you've been working them. And that's their way of knowing I'm not in guiding mode anymore. I can be a dog outside of being a guide dog. And tie-down is keeping them in the same spot, like you tie them down with the leash somewhere so they don't wander off. If you're in, like, the next room and you don't want them getting into things, it's a really good idea to do tie-down. And then the last is obviously the harnessing part where when they know that when they're in the harness that it's time to work. And we mentioned that. Yeah, and then one thing that I do want to add to that is um, how earlier – It was discussed that some people think that it's cruel to have a dog working and that a dog does not want to work. And I'm speaking to people who are like animal rights activists like PETA. 
I know that you guys love animals. We love animals too. But when you have a disability and you need a service animal to help mitigate your disability, they the dogs choose to work. A dog will tell you that they love working or that they don't like to work. And if they don't like to work, the handler does what's best, meaning if the dog needs to retire early, then the handler will do what is in that dog's best interest. These dogs are not forced to work at all by any means. They love their job. Without further ado, we're going to welcome our fourth guest, Alex. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi there. Hi, Alex. This is Angie, and this is my co-host, Kimberly. Hi. How are you? We are good. How are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> and Teddy just came up and joined me. So that's your guide dog, right, Teddy? Yeah. He's like, I know what they're talking about. Let me get in on this. <laughs> yeah, he wants to participate too. Well, Alex, um, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and then telling us a little bit about your experience being an owner trainer who happened to cross train if you want to explain a little bit about why if that's okay well i always knew that i wanted a guide uh it was always kind of a dog whisperer when i was 16 i was going to apply for a guide dog you know instead of driving you know that was my thing i was fully ready and i knew what i was gonna do and then when i was 16 i had brain surgery and I kind of medically went downhill from there, and we didn't know why until very recently. I have a rare genetic disorder on top of being blind, on top of the traumatic brain injury, which came after the brain surgery because they messed up. I knew that I just needed that dog in my life. I knew that uh, for my depression and just the ability to keep going. I, you know, a cane wasn't going to do it for me. <laughs> and so I actually was really smart and I graduated high school early. I was kind of in this year in, in Texas, they kind of switched the graduation requirements and I was in this gap year. And so I actually was able to do it in three years and six months. I took that gap year. And while I was still medically kind of falling apart, it turned out to be a good thing because it helped me kind of recover some things, kind of figure out and realize that I was going to end up in a wheelchair. I went and went to Lions Club. I don't know if Lions World is a kind of vocational Sort of like Blind Ink or, you know, those kinds of places. I went to Lions World and did a college prep course there. The year before, I had went in and applied for all my guide dogs at the Seeing Eye. And I had picked all my schools and everything. And I had gotten everything sorted out. And then one morning, I woke up and I couldn't move my right leg. At all. And my left leg was moving, but not really well. Within about a week, we knew something was really wrong. We had gone to my chiropractor. We thought something was just pinched really good or whatever. Chiropractor, after about three days, he said, no, you need to go see a neurologist. Neurologist said, something's wrong, but we don't know what. 
and I, to this day, have never been able to walk correctly, and I've been using wheelchair and or forearm crutches ever since. Well, when that happened, of course, I emailed all the schools and said, okay, here's what's up. Well, from that point on, they shut me down. I even talked to one in Australia, a few in Europe. I mean, I talked to a lot of schools. And the only school that I had any remote, moderate success with is uh, Guide Dog Foundation out of New York. They're actually pretty open-minded. But they have a five-year waiting list for a guide dog in a wheelchair. So I couldn't wait that five years. I was always a deep diver, and I did a ton, ton, ton of research, sitting out with my family, picking out a lab, and that was Abby. I trained Abby. Uh, when we went to college, she was eight months old, had her CGC, had her first commands down on her guide commands. It was understood that she wasn't trained yet. She was basically still in puppy raising mode, but she had technically a service dog command. She could retrieve a water bottle. So that got her into the dorms because my school didn't at the time have a guide dog puppy raising policy. But it was understood that she was not trained. And my first college year, I gave up a lot of my time to train my dog. I learned a lot. There were some mistakes I made with her that I didn't make with Teddy. And I learned a lot with Teddy that I won't make with my next dog. And it's just an ongoing process. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. I trained Abby. She worked for five and a half years. Pretty much my entire time in college, she worked. I finally broke down and got so sick I had to come back home permanently. I was home for about a year while she was still working as my guide. And then I ended up in the hospital and she usually would come visit me in the hospital. I usually don't keep my dogs in the hospital with <laughs> me. Where we lived, she came out expecting to go to the hospital and got excited. She saw her friend across the street and this was a highway. She wasn't scared of cars because most guide dogs aren't. And she went across the street and got hit. So that was her early retirement. And I was actually in a mental health hospital when this happened. So it was like literally the worst moment for this to happen. <laughs> but then I ended up with Teddy about six weeks after Abby got her hip surgery and was able to recover she got depression, though. She didn't take to retirement. I had to give her to somebody because she just couldn't take me working with another dog. And so, which broke my heart to death. I never expected to have to rehome her. But I did. And, oh, it killed me. But it's one of those things you have to do. You have to decide what's more important. Are you going to hold on to her for your sake? Or are you going to let her go? Let her have her retirement. Yeah. Right. So anyway, I ended up with Teddy and then Teddy's been great. He's four and a half now and he's been working solidly since he was about, 15 months. Abby was a very drivey dog, very hyper, hyper, hyper dog. 
the more complicated, the better. She thrived on the more complicated things. Teddy is mottos in life is work smart, not hard. So it's it's just interesting to see how different a dog can be. But yeah, now he's just laying there being lazy. <laughs> Your story is really interesting and I'm glad that there are people like you that that take the time to do what's necessary. I found out I have brain fog, short-term memory loss. A lot of times when I get really tired, which it happens pretty quickly, like I know what I want to say. My brain and my mouth don't communicate, but my body does what I want. So, you know, my dogs, you know, the beauty of me owner training is that my dogs have already gotten used to those little quirks. Um, uh-huh. you know, and they already kind of know those little things about me. Like, like, you know, I was talking to you earlier when you were setting this interview about how I have my own commands. So, you right. know, I don't go by the school's commands, which I know from other people who have other issues who go into schools uh, they get scared because they get told all these commands and they like say they have a traumatic brain injury and then they go into a school, even if the school, like say it's a veteran and the school is training the dog for a veteran who has a traumatic brain injury. Well, that dog may have 80 commands that they're expected to learn. Well, somebody with a traumatic brain injury they're not going to be able to pull 80 commands out of their head especially mm-hmm. that they didn't right. teach the dog right well That's a good point. Right. so like for me switch means switch sides in front of me go from oh. heel uh, heel to the other side which i have to do quite frequently because i have teddy heel to my right instead of my left which is unusual because my right's my weak side. Mm-hmm. When people are walking around us, that a lot of times can be detrimental. But swing means turn with me in heel. So when I'm in my wheelchair and I'm trying to spin a circle and go the other direction because I changed, I need to you know do something else, the dog knows the difference. Hey, we're turning, but I'm not changing sides. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and it, and then the dog knows that that's it. Okay. Yeah, that's really unique and different than the traditional guide dog commands. You know, when you're owner training your own dog, you can do whatever you want, essentially. Yeah. And then the other thing about training my own dog is Teddy's about 75% guide. And then the rest had jumble in a little bit of mobility, a little bit medical alert, a little bit psych. So, if I had gone to a program and I explained that I needed all that, they would think, oh, well, you'd have to train in all those commands and it would overwhelm him, you know, because there's so many options in training, you know, for mobility. Usually, that's 80 commands right there. Guide, guide work is a lot of command work. Just because it's generalization and proofing is what takes so long. 
that's the misconception about guide dogs. I don't know how much you guys have talked about that. It's not, I tell a lot of people about training, the, the task training, teaching your dog what a bench is, is not what's the hardest part is generalizing that that metal bench is the same as that wooden bench. Uh-huh. And that metal trash can outside next to the tree is the exact same trash can as the little rubber one in your office. It means the same exact thing, but you have to generalize it. And that's what takes forever. And in the same with doors, you know, okay, a door with the handle is the same as a door that's glass that doesn't have any handles and moves on its own, you know. Exactly. Right. This was the first advice I was ever given, and it stuck with me. The best compliment you can get is, I didn't know a dog was there. And if you can say that you're hiding a dog, however big he is, however small he is, and you're hiding him, and you're not being in the middle of attention, then your dog is doing what it's supposed to be doing, and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But the hardest thing to train a dog actually is the art of doing nothing (laughs) because they sleep but they don't sleep forever and especially in high stimulating areas like in the middle of a mall they're not going to sleep they're going to sit there and watch and you have to train them to hold a stay when food's being dropped in front of them or a child runs around and around them and all those kinds of things. The art of doing nothing is something you start with as a very young puppy and takes their entire early years to learn. That is one of the most important things because, you know, their entire life is hurry up and wait. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, I would love to start a program and cross-train dogs, and not just for the blind, for the underserved populations, which would mean those civilians with psychiatric illness, adults with autism, because a lot of the programs only work with children with autism because that's where the money's at. Oh. They don't. They don't work with adults. They only work with the kids, even though you don't grow out of autism. Right. I have a lot of friends end up owner training out of necessity for them to get what they were used to having when they were a kid. You know? Right. Cross train of complex physical and medical disabilities. So, like, diabetes and blindness or blind deaf or, you know. Etc. There is actually a school, Lead a Dog Show the Blind in Michigan, that does have a deaf blind program. Yes, I do know that. But I also know that they don't train their dogs actually to go completely independently everywhere. They have a limited scope if their owner oh, wow. is um, completely, truly, totally deaf blind. It's more letting them have independence around their house and around their, like, immediate block. I didn't know that. A lot of people don't know that you can train guiding aspects for people who have, like, absence seizures. A lot of times, yeah. you know, they get trained guiding aspects. I was telling you that autism. Or people with anxiety. 
Yeah. Well, they train their dogs for guiding aspects, too. There's mm. also a little bit of a movement now in dementia. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then uh, narcolepsy, depending on how severe they sleepwalk. My friend who has absence seizures, she taught her dog the intelligent disobedience. For her, her dog was taught to block her from getting anywhere near the stove without a password and not get out of the house without a password and not cross the street without a password. So she has to really dig for it. So she can't be like half conscious. She has to be really with it. And otherwise her dog is going to block her. So there's three different passwords, one to prevent her around the stove one one to prevent her from getting out the front door and one preventing her from getting across the street. But the problem when you're training those passwords, you have to stop every single time you hit a street. Mm-hmm. You get your dog to block you, and it can get very annoying when you're trying to go somewhere fast, but it can save your life when you're not. Yeah. But he does so much else, you know? Right. And the one thing that he can do is he can do what I call a find or point. Show me. Since if I drop a pill on the ground, and I take a lot of medicine, so he'll actually show me, and I can follow his head down to his nose, and then his nose will be near whatever I dropped. So instead of me getting down and feeling for ever looking for that little thing that I just dropped, it's not quite such an intense process yeah and it works out so so that's the other thing about owner training you kind of learn on your own you kind of figure things out on your own and now i can pass those tips on to others a really 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 good resource is service dog central it's a community i don't know if you've looked at it since i talked to you not yet but i'll definitely take a look at it and i'll definitely be linking that on the description box in the, of the show notes below for people to check that out as well. They're not anti-program. What they are anti is anti-faker. <laughs> and we, we tell it like it is. And just be mindful that there's a lot of different people, a lot of dis- different disabilities. So sometimes there may be an accidental clash just because you kind of have to get used to working around. Some people are more blunt, but that's just because they may be autistic or we're very supportive of each other and once you fit in you fit in like we're we're loyal and we're we're supportive and everything it's just the getting into the group sometimes some people finds it a little off-putting you know just depending on how soft you are about feelings or whatever because we we we're honest to you about your opinion about a dog and stuff like that we'll tell you we want people to succeed too that's all of those commands and all all that you said that you've taught them are so fascinating. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to mention is the two most important things about looking for an owner training dog is looking and deciding on your breed. And I always say need over breed. Like I tell people all the time, I am not a poodle person, but I got a poodle. <laughs> I truly am not a poodle person, but I love Teddy anyway. 
you know, you're going to love them because they save your life and you're with them all the time. Whether you love the breed or not, you're going to love your dog, you know? Yep. It may take you some time. Like, it was not love. Abby was love at first sight. Teddy was not love at first sight. It took me a few weeks. But I love him. I wouldn't have him any other way. And I make fun of him being a little poodle and being prissy and all that kind of stuff. But need overbreed, you know. So if you're dead set on a German Shepherd, but you have anxiety issues, any any breed in the protective realm, you have to avoid it. You know, unfortunately, if you want to succeed, you need to avoid any of the um, protective breeds unless you were purposely paired with one by a trainer. And then the other thing is harness. How you choose your, your, your gear. I learned with my first dog, I had her with just one of those vests. And you can click on... Oh, activedogs.com. Yeah. yeah. It was always just one of those things that just bugged me because it wasn't perfect. And I could never find, like, a good harness that I like. Now people are starting to make them on the internet and you can find some. Only, like, I'm talking within the past, like, two, three years, you can now find them being made offline. But before, you, if you didn't go to a guide dog school... The only way you could get a guide dog harness is by buying it secondhand off of a person who's gotten another guide dog and is willing to give you a guide dog harness from their previous dog or something. So anyway, the first thing I got made, I had my bridge handles that were made for me by this lady who owned our train. And she made them out of these really light, amazing, like super thin aluminum bars and then she wrapped them in nylon and they're super light like I'm talking not even six ounces and even the longest handle which works great on my power chair is not heavy enough to pull the harness one way or the other on my dog and the other thing that I discovered was that because I used counterbalance, I needed something that was going to stay square on my dog. I wanted something that wasn't going to slide to one side or the other, like guide dog harnesses tend to do. If you're going to be balancing on your dog, you need your dog's gear to stay where it's going to be if you're going to use your gear to balance on. I found a lady, she only sells through Facebook. I can give you the link to her Facebook, but she made the perfect harness for me. And Teddy loves it. He's super comfortable. It has fleece on the inside and nylon on the outside. It's a Y harness. She usually puts service dog on the side, but I chose guide dog. Since people saw my guide dogs, they asked for things like service dog with the medical caduceus sign on it or something. Like, so mm -hmm. people can understand that it's not just like a service dog. Anyway, I love it. The little handled. It's not rigid, but it has little rings and it clips and snaps off and does all these amazing things. And it's sturdy as heck. It's going to last forever. It's four years and it's going strong. It looks like it did the first day I got it. And I even got a free cape and it was $100. Custom made. This was also somebody recommended on Service Stock Central. Is they told me to go on Vistaprint. 
And they said, make a business card for your dog. And it basically says the five basic top questions you get. Name, breed, why you can't pet, the type of service dog it is, and a little blurb about what it does, and a picture. Because some people just want to stop and get a picture of a really pretty dog. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. No, thank you. All right, guys. That was our final guest of this episode, Alex Stafford. So you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash this is what blind looks like podcast. You can find us on Twitter at blind looks like. And you can also email us at this is what blind looks like pod at gmail.com. With that being said, we're signing off. We are done. And you can tune in next time. Teddy says bye. All right. Bye. Yes. Bye, Teddy. <laughs> bye, everybody. Goodbye. Say bye. <laughs>